0: Hello listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. We return after the Easter break to talk about developments in the global coal market. Many countries in Europe were forced to return to the dirty fuel last year as gas deliveries dried up and many firms restarted old mothboard plants. Increased demand for coal saw prices for the fuel soar on the international market, and producers scrambled to supply the surge in coal use. One of the countries that exported Large amounts of South Africa, where in recent months there's been a vast increase in so called ghost trains transporting coal to the port of Richards Bay. Helping me, Richard Svarrison, to make sense of these trains set against the background of the wider coal market is Lawrence Walker, gas and coal editor at Montel. A warm welcome to you, Laurie. Hello, Richard. So before we go into the nitty gritty about the so called ghost trains, let's talk more generally about coal market fundamentals. Um, now, you know we're you know we're on the path to net zero. The energy transition is underway. There's a massive rollout of, of renewables, Laurie. But coal is still being burnt. And where, where is it? Where where is it still being used for power generation in Europe? In Europe, we're still seeing coal being burnt across
1: Europe. Some of the main consumers remain some of the historically large consumers. So we got Germany, Poland. There's small amounts being burnt in some of the Western countries in France, Spain, the UK, Italy. So it's still being burnt, but obviously significantly lower to how it had been in the past. Um, On a global scale, we're seeing obviously significant amounts of coal still being burnt in Asia, in other parts, particularly China, India, Southeast Asia, and some incremental volumes in North Africa as well, although we're we're talking relatively small volumes for a global point.
0: The main reason for that is that there's been cheaper compared to gas then. Is that would that be a correct assumption? Yes, I mean there's a
1: variety of reasons. Certainly what we saw in the last year was that coal became a lot more competitive against gas. I mean that's why we saw a lot more being burnt in Europe and other parts of the world as well. That's obviously part of the puzzle. There's also the fact that certain countries have had a slower rollout of renewables capacity. They had more significant coal capacity in the first place, which they could rely on and bring back when they needed it. Um here is also what was most easily brought in. And also the fact that they may have had a, a shortage of alternatives. So certain subjects maybe had a shortfall in nuclear output. They had a reduced hydro availability, so they had to return to something else. Or the Lofton coal is that baseload fuel that's, that the countries do turn to during this
0: transition. Mm. So, I mean, mainly in Europe, it's probably been a little blip on this sort of path to, to net zero and, and amid the energy transition where we've had to keep the lights on but what if you talk us through what's happened to prices in the last 12 to 18 months Laurie? you know international coal prices yes i mean particularly in europe we saw that the price of
1: coal delivered in europe soaring to close to 500 dollars a ton earlier last year these are not sustainable prices and obviously since then we've returned right back down to around 120 now but still, for much of last year, we're looking at prices averaging, in cases, well above $200 a tonne. This was obviously initially sparked by the issues in Russia. So following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, there were EU sanctions placed on Russia, banning the import of Russian coal to the European Union. This was imposed in early August but even prior to that a lot of the utilities had unilaterally you know, or taken it upon themselves to stop buying Russian coal or at least to cut back on Russian coal. So they started looking elsewhere and as they began looking elsewhere prices soared because they were looking to countries where there wasn't so much available supply or looking to countries that already had buyers elsewhere in Asia or in other parts of the world. Particularly in Europe the buyers were finding themselves competing for supplies they wouldn't normally have had. But we are looking to South Africa, we're looking to Colombia, looking to the US if possible. Even supplies were coming in of lower grade coal from Indonesia, even from Australia. So th- these were routes which we hadn't seen either, haven't seen at all, or we haven't seen very much in the past. only When the, the opportunity has been there, maybe for yeah you know, for a day or two. In South Africa, for example, I think even I remember mean, speaking with traders days after the invasion of Ukraine, and they were already flying out to South Africa to make deals to secure tonnage. And so, yes, there was a huge surge in prices. It wasn't so much that there was a shortage of coal overall, it was just the reorientating these trade flows. There's also some panic about the buyers. And while these sort of new trade flows and new trade routes settled, you know, people had to pay up for the coal and had to encourage the producers to sell to them. And everywhere, people just started stocking up. And what we have now is an excess of, of stocks, and plenty of supply, more established alternative trade flows to where we had been prior to the war. And as a result, prices are, are beginning to settle, beginning to go back down again. And I think it would take some significant market shock for us ever to see such prices again that we did see last year.
0: You mentioned South Africa and the fact that traders were very quick to, to travel there and try and make some deals with the producers down in, in, in South Africa. Could talk us through what what happened in South Africa last year? I mean, how much did the country export? And was this quite a large percentage rise year on year?
1: In terms of total volumes, South Africa didn't export much more. I think we're talking around 60 million tons they exported last year, which was pretty close to what they exported the year before. The difference came in that the volumes shipped to Europe surged considerably. So I think if we take, for example, I think about seven, we're looking at seven key European countries. There was something like a six-fold increase in imports. So we had maybe 2 million tons exported to Europe in 2021. Suddenly it became 12 million tons last year. Uh, South Africa was, for many, a first port of call because we used to buy a lot from South Africa. It used to be one of the main suppliers to Europe. It's used to, and I'd say used to here, I'll (laughs) probably explain why in a minute, but it used to supply more the kind of coal that we needed in Europe. It was kind of like an old friend. There's something some to go back to. People knew some of the, the suppliers, they knew the people, they knew the market. There was a reasonable shipping time compared with some of the alternatives, compared to obviously with going to Australia, for example, or even places in the US. And they could, at, I think, at times get competitive prices for it. There was, yeah, this kind of going back to South Africa, re-establishing these routes, which were perhaps there a number of years ago, but had been a lost And the main reason these have been lost in recent years was because of Russia and to some extent Colombia muscling in on the European market and just pumping huge amounts of coal into Europe, which took away South Africa's share. South Africa in turn in recent years has just exported more and more to Asia, particularly to India and to Pakistan. So we've become much more reliant on Russia. 60% or so of our coal has been coming from Russia until the war. And we just had to turn back to South Africa.
0: It's very interesting. I mean, who are the main buyers then uh, and the main users in Europe, um Laurie? I, I know certain
1: yeah, German utilities, certain, uh, probably most of the utilities to some extent who are still burning coal have been taking some South African. One of the main issues, which I was touching on a little bit earlier, is that the quality of South African coal has deteriorated over, the, over recent years. That's more a choice decision. It's by choice in South Africa, they've been shipping more as to India, to Pakistan, where they need lower grade coal, lower C V coal. That's what they prefer, that's what they want, at a again at a possibly at a cheaper price. And so I've probably have seen something like over the past decade, maybe the share of high colour coal drop significantly in South Africa, maybe so sort of ten million times or so less than there was a decade ago. As a result, there's limits to how much Europe could buy, and Europe doesn't really want the low CV stuff. It wants a high CV coal. It wants something that's going to replace relatively good Russian just, coal. Sorry,
0: just a button there, Laurie. For those uh, listeners who may not be aware of CV, that's calorific value, right? So
1: Yes, you, they yeah, tend yeah, to yeah. want the higher calorific coal, the higher grade coal. Unfortunately, in a way, for South Africa, it was in a very good position. It was in a position where it could have really ramped up exports a lot more to Europe. It could have had the opportunity to cover a lot more of, of our Russian shortfall than it did. And let's say, as I say, 12 million tonnes or so, it covered, I think we lost something like 30 million tonnes of Russian coal last year. So there's a reasonable gap that could have been filled. There, there are other issues as well. So, for, firstly, you can't just suddenly switch from, you can't just say we're just going to start mining higher grade coal. It takes time to change this. Sometimes maybe if they're using different seams, they're using different parts of the mine. And also they also have to, the mine owner, the producer has to consider how long this is going to go on for. Is it worth them switching to improving their grades for, you know, just for a few months or for a year or how long will this European demand be there? So they were re- certainly restrained by the amount of, uh, by the quality. And they've also been restrained by problems within the country. So this is logistical constraints their rail capacity is working well below capacity as a result the port is exporting at below capacity richards bay to coal terminal their main export hub has capacity to export 90 million tons so a year but okay 60 or so million tons exported last year most of that would have been through richards bay so so the spec house is there rail they've had issues with sabotage with um poorly managed routes with derailments, Yeah, they seem to have constant challenges. And that's unfortunately also just let them down really at this time when they could have really made more of the opportunity.
0: But then I think when you have the backdrop of these incredibly high prices, I mean, still if we're around $200 a tonne, that's still, you know, historically very, very high. You see, you know, the emergence of what we what, what we want to talk about today mainly then, Laurie, is these, these ghost trains in South Africa. Could you say a little bit about what this sort of phenomenon is? Yes, I suppose it's
1: no secret there's certain levels of corruption. There's problems uh, within South Africa at this time. There's obviously going to be networks involved in this. But, yeah, the the long and short of it is that there's money which is evading the state-owned firm, going to someone else's pockets, and ultimately, I guess, not going into the country's coffers.
0: Do we know how much is being being transported to Richards Bay via these, these ghost trains? It's
1: So uh, we're, we're looking a lot into speaking with various people. We're having to go through various sets of data, information, things that, people were, that we're hearing. It, initially, we are hearing as much as maybe 10% on the rail routes was going, which was 5 million tonnes a year or so. Uh, we're seeing more information now where it could be considerably more. At times, maybe as much as half the trains going are fading the company as were, well, or, or going as coast trains. You need certainly... We're still digging here, so it's there's only a certain amount I'm really comfortable to say at this time. But I think I'm, it's fairly safe to say it's probably considerably more than the initial ten percent that we thought was running on the line, and a number of possibly large companies involved as well. So,
0: I mean, it's obviously a very sensitive topic. It's you know there's a huge amount of money to be made, and not least as you mentioned earlier, the amount of money that's being evaded and not going into the coffers of the South African state. But um, so, you know, there are people uh, who will only speak to you specifically on strict condition of anonymity. Um, but um, is this a new phenomenon, these ghost trains? Is it, have, we, have, we seen, have you heard of it before, like, before like the past few weeks? I personally hadn't heard about this as
1: such in the past, but having spoken with people who are either involved very close to this now or in recent days, it does appear to be something which has been going on for a number of years certainly in south africa i'm not sure if elsewhere they obviously seem to have well established um groups doing this i think it's just the opportunity again has increased in over the past year and then so as as always that means that the volumes are going to increase the money increases but it's a lot more yeah. You know, a lot more widespread now than it was in recent years and
0: that's basically because of the high high wholesale prices of of
1: coal and the high market prices certainly contributing yes i would have thought and also probably just to some extent the people
0: making the most of perhaps without a lack of stability within the country perhaps we could say how can the trains then enter the port i mean surely that's also this is you know these are these are supposed to be secured uh sites where obviously there must there's quite strict conditions on who they let in and who they let out in a way. For which is Bay Coal Terminal, you'd be having to,
1: you'd have to have permission from one of the shareholders of the port of, of the terminal. There are obviously a, a number of large miners who now hold shares. There are also
0: a few junior miners, a few small miners. Obviously, we can't name any of the companies, or we don't really want to. But there's nothing. There's no real evidence of that anyway, uh, as as yet. But um, where is this coal that that comes into the bay? On these ghost trains, where is it then exported or is it we, we don't we don't know it could go to europe could go to asia could go wherever people are buying south african coal from yes yeah
1: yeah it's just not it's not clear where it's going to end up at this stage um, we can only see how generally where all of the coal is going and as i say last year 12 million tons to europe there's a remainder elsewhere we can use such a such a share um in terms of th- those illegally moved as well
0: it's hard to say really and from a government or or Transnet perspective here, Laurie? What what can they do to to stop this? I think it's difficult I understand.
1: It's, there, there's very little evidence as such. Payments are generally made in cash. There's no real paper trail. There's probably people fairly high up the ladder involved. There's a lot of covering each other's tracks. I think it would be just obviously a, re, a restructuring of the whole system, I think, is really necessary quite what they will find or what they will be able to do. We'll see, it be interesting to see, but Transnet has said they're investigating it, they're looking into it. All we can really do at this stage is wait to see what they come up with, what they find, how they deal with it. But certainly it's, it does seem rather uh, hard to deal with if it is this endemic already.
0: Absolutely, and obviously, you know, they'll be doing all they can and, and you'll be following these events very closely and reporting it on, on, on Montel News, Laurie. But, I mean, a final final question really is... Is there a sense of obligation on the buyers of South African coal, do you think, yeah, to be aware of this? Or should they be more scrupulous about where they source their coal from? Certainly, yes. But as we were saying before, it's obviously hard to know which is coming
1: from where, who is involved. Certainly at this stage, I think a buyer is going to have to question a little bit beyond the port, have to look and think, how did the coal get to the port? And got what you were importing and that it's been... It's gone through the right channels that it's being dealt with in the right way. Yeah, beyond that it's hard to really hard to really say quite quite what what you can do to be certain, you you're not you're not buying coal which has been shipped
0: by ghost train. Yeah, it doesn't sort of get stamped, does it? You know, shipped by by ghost train. No. Uh, but uh, <laughs> No, not really. You know, no, no, man. Well, Laurie, I think this is something we'll we'll follow very closely in the weeks and months to come. So uh thank you very much for for sharing the 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 status of your investigation into the issue uh, and for being a guest on the Montel Weekly podcast. Thank you very much. A short postscript, listeners. We have contacted train operator Transnet for comment on the ghost train problems they flagged up, but they're unable to say anything due to an ongoing investigation into the issue.